right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here, not in the kill house, in my own house on a Sunday evening, talking to my guy, Mr. Neil Schuster, calling in from New York. Good evening, Neil. Mr. Solly, good to be with you up here in the uh, in the streamer studio. We were just chatting offline, a, lot, a sneaky, busy week in the golf world. I was looking at the agenda as of yesterday, and I was like, dude, what are we going to talk about? And then as of today, it just it filled up. It always does. There's always something come Sunday evening to talk about. And we're going to have a guest uh, later on who's going to be joining us to talk a little bit of LPGA. But first off, I got to tell you, listen, uh, they sent a script over for this ad read. And listen, I don't know if you can hear this, Neil. Oh, he's I'm doing it live, folks. I'm throwing he's the script doing out. it live. It's the Travis Matthew perfect pant. And I knew I was getting ready to talk about it this weekend. And listen, I went to my closet. Haven't been wearing a lot of pants to play golf. It's starting to turn a little cold here in Florida. Not quite Florida cold, but it's cold enough to wear pants. And I went to my closet, pulled out a different brand of pants, and they were wrinkled to hell. And I pulled out a pair of the Travis Matthew Perfect Pants that I have not worn since whenever it was the last time I needed to wear pants down here. Needed no ironing, needed no dryer throw or anything. There's a reason why they call this thing the perfect pant. It is great for wearing to work. You can wear it out socially. You can wear it to the golf course. The reason they call it the open to close pant by Travis Matthew is you can truly wear it from open to close. This sounds like it's from a script, but it is not. There is I'm not reading anything from a script on this. And there was they're fantastic pants. They're light. They're not too heavy. Uh, they're perfect for a cool day. If it's really, really cold, that might not be your option, but on a nice, cool fall day, the Travis Matthew Perfect Pant is it, it is perfect pant. The open to close pant is perfect. John Rahm wears them. Sam Byrne wears them. And this part is in the script. You can check it out today at TravisMatthew.com. Use code NLU for 20% off your purchase. It's T-R-A-V-I-S-M-A-T-H-E-W.com with code NLU for 20% off the open to close pant. Put it on your Christmas list. They're awesome. I love it. And I would shout out to the Travis Matthew guys because I remember years ago, got some pants from them. I think when we went to Ireland and they did wrinkle. So that's some that's some product innovation on their part, right? Just always trying to evolve up the game a little bit. So I'll have to check out the perfect pant. Wrinkle free is valuable when you start getting busy and you don't want to get the iron out, or if you live in tight quarters and you don't want to do the whole iron. That's that's a lot of value. There's a lot of it's in that. massive for travel too. Yes. It really yes. helps when you can roll and and pack light you know, and get some multiple uses out of the pants. Love that. We got RSM to talk about. We got Dubai. We got CME Tour Championship. Why don't we, we usually start with PGA Tour. Let's start there anyways. Adam Svensson into the winner's circle for the first time in his 70th career PGA Tour start. Bogey free, uh, 64 in the final group. Neil, he missed 11 greens all week. Missed one green today over a week spanning two different golf courses. In all types of conditions, it was damn cold on Thursday. It was windy a lot. There were a lot of beanies out there today, and he got it done for his first PGA Tour win. I, he was a popular pick of mine and a lot of DraftKings t- uh, stuff all year. Never came through for me. Popular pick for TC, and it somehow ended up always coming through for him. Uh, but he's now into the winner's circle, and Canada rejoices tonight. Yeah, one of those guys that seems to just be kind of quietly balling out. It was almost a kind of a matter of time. I didn't know much about him. Um, I mean, it kind of shocked me. I think that he kind of looks like Steph Curry's, like, white brother. I mean, there's some, <laughs> some like, facial thing. I, it, which, once I saw that, I couldn't unsee it. 
Uh, but I, I was sitting there watching the leaders come through the turn, like, you know, ninth, 10th. I was like, this is really boring. I was struggling to tell, like, because everyone's wearing the, um, you know, the beanies, uh, like who was who I was yeah. like Svensson or like, you know, who am I watching? Like, I just want to turn red zone back on. Like, do I have to watch this? And then all of a sudden it was like this Harmon, the gala, like showdown started on like the 14th hole. And then, and then I was just locked in for the rest of the round. And then Svensson comes out of nowhere from the top rope and just pours cold water on this birdie fest that those guys are having and just runs away with it in the last two holes. So, I mean, like massive, you know, credit to Svensson for just, just taking control of the shot he hit in the 17, the par three was like just a really, really good golf shot after a birdie on 16. So uh big shout out to Adam, but also like pleasantly surprised on like the finish and how, how into it I was. So not a lot of big names in the field, but still a, a fun duel down the stretch, even though neither one of those guys won. <laughs> I could think of a better way to describe the fall season than like, yeah, I couldn't really tell who was who, but like, Hey, that yeah. very end, there was a little bit of excitement there. Right. Like it's just, it, it, these fall events are not something you can watch Thursday to Sunday. I don't, I don't advocate that, uh, you know, for anyone, but come Sunday, there's almost always some kind of good finish. It's a, it's a, always a weird week. This is always a bunch leaderboard on this back nine going into this final day. You know, they play the, this time of year, you need two golf courses. If you're going to get a full field through when they play the, uh, you know, the, Thursday, Friday, they split between the seaside course and the plantation course. Every time I've played seaside, man, I walk off and I'm just like, dude, that's a hard, hard golf course. Like it just exposes me. And then watching dudes just fly right through it with, you know, with zero issue coming in. There were some low numbers out there today. Callum Taron shot a 64 to finish. Joel Damon shot a 64 today. Sahid had 66. Brian Harmon shot 65. And it, it was kind of like if you looked at the like a win probability charts, like I always do, it was like everybody chilling at like nine to 20 percent all afternoon. And then Svensson birdied 10 and 11. And he just had so many more holes to play than the rest of those guys. It looked really bunched, but he was in the driver's seat from that point on. And yeah, dude, it's just uh, the Sahith run. It, it, I was I, I don't feel anything already anymore. I'm numb to it. I was just expecting the pain. It was such an awesome Awesome run to see, and he gets the ball just to violently, violently lip out on the low side on 16. And Svensson on 17 had a putt that, I mean, it looked outside the hole low as it was approaching the hole uh, with dying speed, and it somehow fell in that right side and into the back of the hole. And I, it, I had no point that I think that putt was falling, and that ends up being that's a two shot swing. And uh, otherwise, those two are in a playoff together. Well, it's, it's the gala is so easy to root for. Yeah. I mean, he is kind of, he's just very swaggy. He's kind of the kid and he, he, he kind of, <laughs> he it almost looks like it's always falling apart. And he, you know, he's taking these big lashes at the ball, but then he's rolling in birdies. He's just kind of always on the, you know, on the edge. Uh, and then you contrast that with Harmon, who's just like pretty much his exact opposite. Like they, those two would be great for like a buddies cop movie. <laughs> You know, like, like they're so different, but like it was a, it was great theater watching them both attack the course, um, you know, with different styles of play. I'm a little concerned about Harmon and his, you know, we're having trouble pulling the trigger. Not I mean, good. I was counting 10, 11, 12 waggles. He's stepping off putts. Listen, the home game models were off the charts for him as a, uh, as a Sea Island man. Uh, so maybe there was some added pressure on him, but I've never really seen him as a guy that had issues with the, uh, you know, with, with, with taking the club back. But today was like, whoa, you know, we were, we were, I was expecting him to pull it back after the second or third waggle and he went seven or eight more. So that was, you know, but then compare that with the gala, who's just like kind of, you know, sending it right. He does it. His, his whole process just feels like, all right, cool. Let's just like, let's just flag this one, man. Like it, it feels 
a lot less um, orchestrated, if that would be the word. He he reps the the hoodie game better than anyone else out on tour. It just looks swaggy how he does it. The str- I don't know how that where those strings came from. Strings are hanging down to his belly button. I mean, he just just oozing confidence with it. I don't. I get distracted when I see the hoodie strings uh, hanging over the ball as I go back to swing. But man, he had one bogey and one double on the week. He doubled a par five today on the front nine, which was before TV coverage came on. Which when I saw that happen, I was like, all right, he's probably kind of out of it. But shoots a back nine. 31 with that horrific lip out uh, on 16. Almost just finished in a total, total fury. But it was an awesome year for Sahith. I mean, it was, he obviously had the incredible close call at the waste management with a horrible bounce that just did not go his way. Ball plugs in the lip on the 72nd hole at the Travelers. And then this lip out on 16, it just seems like the rub of the green absolutely hates this guy. And it's, you know, you got to go through this. Everyone, almost everyone's got to go through a lot of close calls. It just seems like if I'm looking at it, this is the first top five of Adam Svensson's career and by far his best ever finish for a, a player that is, if I may say, if you look at the numbers, truly about as average as they come on the PGA Tour. And for him to get it done in that first instant, the, the first real chance to win and Saha is still struggling to get one after three really good chances is, a, is, a, is frustrating for a Saha fan, as you can imagine. Well, and Saith, like it's the 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 hoodie is it's like baggy. It looks it looks comfortable. His pants are kind of baggy. You know, he's just it's swaggy. Like his whole the way it's he walks, he's got, it's just not refined and technical, which is refreshing. Which I love. He just yeah. looks like he's he's kind of always got like a little little vibe in his step, and he's got a little bit of uh, Icarito going after the mega bonus in him where he's <laughs> snapping at the ball to get down and it's it you know it's short of the pin you know it's like he doesn't really know what the ball's doing in the air like it's fun to, it's really fun to watch so i find myself immediately rooting for him like when he i think he birdied like what four of the last six mm-hmm. uh for the last seven but when he started going on that run kind of in the middle of the back nine it, it made me sit up and it was like oh good you know i'm not going back to red zone just yet you know it was tough coming over from red zone too because every time i went to the cme or to Golf Channel, it was a commercial or playing through. And it's like, God, well, I could just watch football. <laughs> I could just like straight up 10 hours straight of like no breaks. You know, maybe they throw in an Amazon like game rewind on me. And it's just like, up. Oh, let me, well, let me flip over to the golf. You know, I'm going to be on the pod and it's like, up. Oh, it's commercial. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to red zone then. So that's tough to compete with. You got to get the laptop out. Here's what I did today. I had the LPGA and the PGA Tour streaming in two separate windows kind of vertically stacked on the right side and I could keep whatever I needed going on the left side and I could keep red zone on the TV. That's the way, that's the only way you got to, I don't really think the tour, they can't really care if you watch, right? If they're going to put up commercials, this many commercials up against NFL football, you can't pretend that you care that people watch, but I know it's just a hard, uh, it's not, it's not a compelling sales pitch. Let's put it that way. It's not, it's really not, but weak field at the RSM, but about as good of a leaderboard near the end there as you could have hoped for, well, right? Well, not according to the OWGR, it wasn't a weak oh, field, which, which we'll get to here shortly. We will get there. But, um, I mean, I guess a lot of depth or just a lot of people, which I guess leads to the the models telling us that there's a lot of depth. Not a ton of big names. I, I'd give a shout-out to uh, Cole Hammer, kind of a young buck, starting to make some waves on the tour. I think, you know, coming out of college, you, you got to – you got to either get it like right away or you're kind of going to be on that Mav McNeely path, which is nothing wrong with that. Almost then you're gonna have to play the corn fairy and, and learn how to be a pro, which I think is probably a, the long way. Right. And we'll talk a little bit about the PGA tour U coming up, but good to see him with a, I think top five finish uh, and a strong Sunday. 
that gets him into the next full field event, which is Sony, which he had used up a bunch, you know, some sponsor exemption starts uh, this past year on the PGA tour has not had a lot of success. He's uh, Sean Martin had an article about it on PGA tour.com. Just saying, you know, I would make a bogey and I would start to panic. I would feel like the world was, was collapsing around me. And now he can look back and reflect and say, I can compete on the PGA tour. I've proven it already in just, I think his sixth start or something like that. And to get it, you know, produce what he did on a Sunday. So he was a, he finished fifth in the PGA tour U standing. So he got exempt into final stage of corn Ferry finals of, of corn Ferry Q school. He finished T 59 there. So he does not get guaranteed starts out of that. He will get starts on the corn Ferry tour coming up this next year. I'd imagine with his amateur record, um, as well as, you know, you know, the PGA tour, you ranking, I, I imagine they'll find some sponsors that want to have him in PJ in corn Ferry events, as well as, you know, how many Monday qualifiers can he go play and, and how many starts can he get on the PGA tour? And he got a lot of non-member FedEx cup points in this event this week, which you can leverage into getting status on the PGA tour if you finish. So if he finishes in the top 125, if he gets enough, as many points as the 125th guy got on last year's FedEx Cup point list uh, in this coming year, as, as a non-member, he will get status for the following year. So that's another route for him to get status uh, on the PGA Tour. So I look forward to watching it. It is funny, you know, he's, I look up and he's 22 years old. He's like, oh, he's a young buck. And then I do reflect on, you know, I get excited for a lot of these guys coming up and I reflect on what like Jordan Spieth gave us at age 21. If people ever get confused, again, I say this anytime somebody, you know, like a Zalatoris is struggling for a first win and you say, oh, he's young, he'll get it figured out. Just reflect on uh, how much those young guys, these dudes that came out and, and set the world on fire at age 21, how ridiculous that was, because we probably still didn't appreciate it as much as it wouldn't happen. So, but in Cole's situation, is it still where you have to pick like, all right, I'm going to go try to ball out at this PGA Tour event and just get credit for the PGA Tour tournament I played in, and and I'm going to sacrifice Corn Ferry opportunities. Like you can kind of get stuck in the middle still, yes. right? Where like yep. it feels like your result or how you played in the PGA Tour event, if you got a sponsor's exemption, should be credited to your Corn Ferry season. Right. Yeah. I, I guess I get why it isn't, but it's almost like you get you. It's, there's a uh, there's a got to be a lot of guys that get stuck in the middle, like even talking to Lauren Coglin about this with the Symmetra tour and and, you know, the LPGA. It's like, well, God, if I go finish well here, I can make like more money than I could make all season on the, yeah. you know, Symmetra tour, but I'm not going to get any credit for it. And that's kind of what like it's just it's tough. I, I, I feel like that decision is really hard. I think you, at his talent level, you go for the PGA Tour as much as possible. I mean, a, a couple more finishes anywhere near this. I mean, he got 120. He's got 120 points as it stands right now. And I don't know what the actual number he needs to get because, of course, the PGA Tour website defaults to whatever it says after the the playoffs, and it doesn't tell you what that is. But he still needs as a, a fair amount to go to get it. It won't be simple, but another top three finish or so puts him in really good position to do it. And if he gets... You know, a bunch of starts through sponsors exemptions can Monday qualify for an event or two, or if you can leverage another top 10 out of the Sony, like if you're a premium talent, like get up there and play with the big boys. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it, that's the best path towards the PGA tour corn Ferry fallback is always an option if it doesn't work out, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess, I, or, or do it early, right? Like you're in Sony, like try early in the season, try to yeah get hot. And then if it's not going well, then focus on the corn Ferry tour for the back half of the season. Yeah. Harry Higgs had a T21 after a tough weekend, but I just I flagged this one because I feel like something really good's happening for Harry sometime soon. He just seems to be close. He's had a bunch of really good starts 
uh, to tournaments in this fall and seems to be in a much better mental space. He's had some tough weekends to not not make it as strong of a finish, but little, little just got a feeling about this one that he something good's going to happen for Harry Higgs uh, in the near future. All right, let let that be noted. Solly's monitoring. I'm monitoring Harry Higgs. I'm also in dead last and haven't got a pick yet, right in this season for the DraftKings. So also, you know, take that for uh, for what it's worth. Patrick Rogers gave DJ a little bit of a sweat after he uh, after after DJ called him out last week on just kind of being a uh, a nebulous tour player. But he this is the one event he was been closest to winning in the past, and uh, he had a, a tough Sunday. But um, another solid week for him. I want to shout out David Lingworth, another T10, really, really, really strong fall. Uh, for him coming off a win in the Corn Ferry Finals, getting back to the pitch. Looks like he's got a little bit of a honeymoon phase going on with the new putting stroke. Well, I've never, like, I don't even know how to describe this on the podcast, but he's kind of got, he's got like a long putter that's not quite all the way a full long putter. And he's cradling it in the left hand between his ring finger and uh, middle finger. Like, uh, kind it's of like almost, an, in, an inverted claw. Yeah. Basically. With the like left hand up, not yeah. the right. And, uh, it must be working for him, I guess, but I just had not seen that uh, until it, I, I saw him putting this weekend. But anything else you want to highlight from the uh, RSM? Well, no, but you, you've got a note in here about winners and losers just of the fall, and I was thinking about that uh, before the pod. I, I think it's, and, and this is going to come off as a backhanded compliment, but the all-anonymous squad, right, had a big fall. Like like Damon, Russ Henley, Harmon, I f- feel like he's been in the mix the last three, four weeks. Uh, the guys that, you know, if they were walking through LaGuardia, you probably wouldn't recognize them, right? And, but they're just banking millions and millions of dollars here in these fall events that, you know, are, are not the, uh, the primo stuff. Meanwhile, the, the, you know, the horses that are playing in the fall, they're all, you know, over in Dubai. So I think those guys would be winners. If I call one out, probably that you're going to call out, Taylor Montgomery. Seems like he's, you know, starting to buck his head heading into 2023. And then the last one I had on the list was just the DP World Tour Trophy. Uh, the the sheer size of that thing, like it's almost taller than Rory. I, I think that would would be a winner uh, in my book. Uh, it's just like outrageously big. Like, and it, it, I was trying to look at the picture of Rory holding it. It doesn't look very heavy. You know, I was like, God, that thing's like five feet tall, but it it doesn't look like he's struggling to hold it up. So I'm I'm very curious of like what kind of materials they use to make it. Um, but an outrageously large trophy. Go look it up if you haven't seen it. I guess I should have clarified. I meant uh, big winners of the fall in this uh, the the fall PGA Tour schedule to start the year is where I was going with that. But it, I, listen, I appreciate all nominations for that. But for sure, I was actually leaning more towards uh, as we go to the Corn Ferry reshuffle to see who from uh, this time period. I mean, if we're if we're really getting down to the nit and grit of this part of the year, like if we're trying to pretend like. This is what's going to defy, decide the FedEx Cup. One is if we really care about the FedEx Cup, but uh, it's not, you know, that, that's not the serious part of it, but it is a very serious part for the dudes that just graduated from the Corn Ferry Tour and are taking every start they could possibly get uh, this fall. And to your point, yes, Taylor Montgomery is shuffled in, shuffles into the number one spot. Um, and, and for those that aren't familiar, there's 50 graduates from the Corn Ferry Tour, both 25 in the regular season, pointless, and 25 from the playoffs that go get their PGA Tour status. And you are ranked one to fifty in that group to start the PGA Tour season. Uh, kind of, a, it's a trade-off alternate, like number one from the points list, then number one from the playoffs, number two, blah blah blah, goes off like that. And they reshuffle that order based on your points earned so far at this point of the year. So Taylor Montgomery reshuffles into number one in that slot. Um, this is on pjtour.com slash fantasy slash reshuffle. You can see it. They had a great, they just updated it. They had a great ranking to show how much, how much people had risen or fallen. And now they've refreshed it for the reshuffle. They don't show that, but 
Uh, Montgomery, Dietrich, and Tyson Alexander, the big winners. Uh, ben Taylor, Ben Griffin, Will Gordon, uh, Kevin Yu, David Lingworth, Robbie Sheldon, and S.H. Kim shuffle into the top 10. And I think the biggest, I don't want to say disappointment, Carl Ewan came out and is has fallen from number one on uh, the regular uh, season's point list down to 30th. So he that could potentially cost him some starts. Austin Eckroat, I think we were kind of expecting a little bit more. I mean, it's a, it's a long season to go for him, but he shuffles all the way down to 32. Um, some friendly names, uh, Brandon Matthews shuffles down to 40th uh, on that list as well. So it's it's a huge race amongst these guys. It's not very, really well covered on television or like I'm not even going to pretend like it's it's something that a lot of golf fans are going to care great about. But if you're interested in that kind of stuff, it is an interesting thing to check out. Which it could be the feature storyline of the fall season. Like if we're going to start the FedEx Cup stuff in January moving forward so that there is more of an offseason, these guys battling it out to remain on tour or get a leg up heading into you know January feels like something that they – I don't know, the TV broadcast could make an effort to focus on. With graphics, like you're saying, with like, hey, let's just take a look at it. And like, instead of showing me the Comcast business top 10, show me this. Show me the rookie, you know, the rookie power rankings or, or who's, who's making noise, which I think would then lead to more discussion in the booth for these guys. Like, it's a good topic when the field doesn't have that many big names on it. It's an opportunity to introduce some new people. So, I don't know. Without looking, can you tell me who's leading the FedEx Cup right now? Got to think Max is up near the top, and I got mm, – no, I can't. Seamus Power is leading the FedEx Cup. So this is the last year we're going to do this. This is the last year where these events are going to count towards the FedEx Cup, and I think that time is long overdue. I think it's very silly to have such an inauspicious start to your PGA Tour season to have this many events uh, happen in a time period where these guys are not playing a lot of golf. Tony Finau has two starts this fall. Rory has one. Max made three. Tom Kim made three. I'm just looking at the the big guns and seeing how much they're playing this fall. Uh, Cantley made one start. Scheffler made three. The standings just like don't mean anything at this point. And I'm just glad this is going away and we can definitively start the FedEx Cup season at at Kapalua next year or in 2024. That just seems like a way better way to do things. So happy to well, happy to close this this chapter of the uh, PGA Tour book because this is something yeah, long overdue. But, but that's kind of my point too. Is like the PGA Tour, in order to keep these sponsors of these events happy, they're going to have to almost sell those sponsors a new narrative of like, yo, you right. guys are going to be like the storyline of these tournaments now has to change, or else like, you know, you're de- you're devaluing the fall season, which should you know I, I understand, and that's there should be an off season. I'm, we've been pushing for that for years. But I think there's still a place for these tournaments if you frame it properly for viewers. And that's where your question earlier about, you know, kind of this getting caught in this no man's land between Corn Ferry and PGA Tour is where I think I, I don't know. I still don't I don't think anyone knows yet how this is going to shake out for next year, these fall events. But with only 70 full time cards being handed out at the end of 2023 season. It, there's going to be a lot more. These events, I, I believe, as I understand it, are going to be a lot more about that shuffle in terms of 71 is going to have a much better chance at retaining their card than number 125 on the list, but you're going to have to go into the fall and requalify in some way and get your points through this fall season for the next year. And it will just kind of be, it, it's what this tournament already is. It just has these FedEx Cup points bolted onto it that don't make any sense. And I do get it. Like FedEx, when they, 
were investing, you know, a billion dollars or however much money they give to the PGA Tour over the life of the contract. They wanted all the events to be FedEx Cup events. I get that. It's a new world. Things had to change. Things are going to change. And I think these are these events are going to be about that shuffle. Maybe they can tell that story better into the fall. And I don't well, I'm not going to pretend it's going to be super exciting. Like it's not. It, it's for diehards only, though. There's something there, though. Like, think about how compelling it is to watch Hard Knocks on HBO. And wh where's the drama come from there? It has nothing to do with the star players. Maybe it's their personalities. It's about the cut. It's about the guys that are trying to make the team. They're trying to make the 53-man roster. And that's almost what the fall season should be about. It's like, okay, we got to round out this squad of 125, right? And I know there's all these loopholes and status and some people, like, it's, it's very complicated. But if you start to think about it like, hey, these are the 125 we're rolling in next year with or 75, then that creates drama on the, like, almost you could look at like the season cut line. Like, who's going to keep their card? Yep. And, and there's so, that's just a built-in, there's a storyline there, right? Like, I know it's, it's not as easy as, say, hard knocks with one team, but it's still only, like you said, like 50 guys, right? Like, it's a very clear group of people that, that are going to, that these tournaments matter for. So I'd like to see that be more of a storyline because I think I, I know what you're saying. Like, I don't know if that's compelling to a casual fan, but it is compelling to somebody that watches the tour week to week. Uh, amen to that. Speaking of storylines, I think one of the biggest storylines we've had going on so far this year has been Roback and Roback Activewear. These guys <laughs> understand quality. There's only one way to describe Roback. It is best fit, best feel. You know I got my green hoodie on as I'm saying this. Their performance polos, they fit so much better than your boxy polos. The founders went through over 20 iterations of the collar alone to ensure it keeps its shape, doesn't get in the way of your golf swing. Next up, their performance Q-zips. They're a game changer. Nothing beats a round of fall golf in a rowback Q-zip. They're soft. They're stretchy. They're comfortable. We honestly cannot take them off. And lastly, the performance hoodies. Stretchy as soft as hoodies in golf. Nothing beats starting your day or ending your day in a rowback hoodie. Uh, there's a reason why I, I wear this hoodie that you're looking at right now, Neil, way too often because I don't have to wash it every time. And it just goes right on the top of the pile of the clothes that I always wear. So I just keep throwing it on all the time. So they're gaining traction big time. Put it on your Christmas list. Again, These you can use code NLU at Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com, 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and more with code NLU. Joggers, vest, they got the whole thing. Roback.com, code NLU. We thank them for their sponsorship. I got two things to add there. One, it the Roback hoodies past the like thing you reach for in in when it's dark in the morning out of your drawer just reflexively. Like it does. It ends up on the top of the pile. And two, my dad, my parents were in town. Uh, the franchise was like, hey, what I'm gonna get one of these Robacks, these these hoodies. You guys, you guys don't have them in stock. I'm like, yeah, can't they keep flying off the shelves, Dad? So I'm gonna have to send them to the uh to Roback.com instead. He's like, no, I want one with the No Laying Up logo. I'm like, well, you know, let's build up to it once we get some inventory. We'll get there. We'll get there, franchise. On to the DP World Tour in Dubai. John, we're doing the order of these events in the in the order that they hand out world ranking points, okay? That's only fair, right, for first place points. Of course. <laughs> I mean, this. I would call this, though, in, in the words of Tron Carter, a, a big task event, right? Like when you when you look at the... The guys that showed up for it, I mean, I think it has to be. It's a season. If you're going to call them a strategic partner or a strategic alliance, like their season-ending tour championship, like that has to be a big task event, right? It, that's kind of the the, the problem. You want to do world ranking stuff now, or do you want to wait till after? Well, go no. Let's just okay. hit the news of the day. Go, it's, let's it's go a over medium the task, right? There's some big names in this. Obviously, I think it's just like 
the the cream kind of is an auto rise to the top on this. You know, I mean, John Rahm wins it by two. Tyrrell Hatton, Alex Noren uh, finished tied for second at 18 under. Rory finishes 16th. Fitzpatrick Fleetwood at 13. Uh, then we got Rasmus Hoygaard, Adrian Moronk, Audrey Arnaus, Jorge Campillo uh, rounding out the top 10. That kind of tells the story right there. Like all the cream of the crop rises. Like the I, the first six names I've listed off there are incredible players that have had awesome seasons that are renowned world worldwide players. I think it's the problem is going to be the next level of guys on the DP World Tour is where the gap really widens between the PGA Tour. And we, we'll, we'll get into some of that. But it basically to say it's a top-heavy field. It was a selective thing that Rom, in some of Rom's comments about, you know, talking about how many top players they had in it because it does lose a bit of, bit of luster when you get past that. And depth really matters in a lot of these things. I, I agree in, like, macro terms with you but i would say seven of the top 20 i think were there you go down like little farther down the leaderboard you got hovland at t23 with lowry like those guys are you know those guys are studs i think yeah it gets a little i don't know less compelling like minwoo lee yeah i guess victor perez like those are those are known names but i feel like at some point the top heaviness has to be factored in, right? Like, I think this is a, like, we have a question here from Zach Ribera. Like, was this win a BDE premium, right, for uh, for Rom? I, I think it is, right? I think you win the season, you know, the tour championship on a major professional tour. I think that's a big win. And I think that the, the top heaviness of it, who he, who he beat to do it, at the top of the leaderboard is is important. I think that's a hard tournament to win is what I'm getting at. It's a really hard, it's a really weird one to describe, right? I mean, if you go out and you beat Rory, you beat Fitz, you beat Hovland, you beat Lowry, you beat Fleetwood, I I like, of course, that's a it's a that's a good win, right? But at the same in the same vein, there's only 10 guys in the top 50 there, right? It, there's seven of the top 25, and only 10 in the top 50 is kind of my point in terms of it, you gotta beat, there's some guys you gotta beat right around there, really good players. And look, I, I think there's a valid question that Rom brings up in terms of are those guys properly accounted for in the field? And that that I don't know the answer to just yet. But look, we'll, sorry, that, that part really permeates through the conversation. It's a great win for Rom. I mean, his third win of the year. And I think it was just, you know, hearing his comments afterward and hearing Roy's comments afterward are were proof. It was validation for me, I think, in that understanding the importance of basically understanding that important golf exists outside of the majors, right? Neither of them won a major this year, yet they both reflected on how good their years were. And that's where, again, I think the 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 divide is so wide for me in terms of PJ Tour slash DP World Tour competitive golf and live golf was like we have objective things we can look at of those guys' years to say they played great golf this year. They had great results. In the biggest of biggest events where they want to peak the best, did they – did they get the results they wanted? No. But if Rory says at the end of this season, which he wins the he wins the DP, the race to Dubai, he finished fourth in this tournament this week. He says he's about as complete of a player as he's ever been. That means something. It means more than, you know, it's not as if Justin Thomas's season is better than Rory's. Rory probably traded all for a major. He probably always would. But Rory played better golf this year than anyone else on the planet. And that's that's worth something. Yeah, and I what I would I would add to that Rory's season was better than Rom's. I mean, and, and again, finishing number one on both the, in the FedEx Cup and the DP World Tour rankings, like that's a that's a resume. Like you can throw that on the first page of the resume. That's an awesome year. And then Rom, I think this one kind of saves it for him a little bit. Like he won two national opens. That's cool, uh, but otherwise a little bit not not enough there to, for me to be like, oh, he played like awesome golf. Like I think he. 
did he say that after the round that he like really he kind of like balled out this season well he did his thing where he any perceived slight that he's getting he had to say oh for anyone that said i had a bad year i mean come on i won three different times on three different three different continents i, I mean i guess i think it's it's kind of a backhanded compliment by me to rom because he did you're right he won on three different three different times three continents some you know some i guess interesting wins but for me that's a down year for rom right so it's almost a compliment of like i kind of expect more from him but good energy for him rolling into into next season. Like he seems to be back as the buoy, which is great. You know, the, the butcher is the, the shop's open, man. Premium cuts, they're coming in 2023. It, very interesting to me to look at Rom going back to 2019. Here's his strokes gain: 2.4, 2.4, 2.38, 2.11. So basically, he was 0.3, not even 0.3 shots worse. Uh, you know, this year than he has been over the past three years. That goes to show how thin the margins are in terms of that, that that level of production the previous three seasons. The wins did not follow that enough. Like it doesn't it doesn't correlate enough. Like with how good of golf he has played, and um, he's just constantly, constantly. Con he's the buoy. You can't sink him. Like the ball striking is that good. It felt like he hit a ton of edges for a lot of this season. Look, I watched the highlights today, and he was just pouring putts in the middle all day long. He was imperious, as they said on the broadcast, as he birdied the first three holes today and uh, I have just tremendous respect for that guy's golf game we spent a little time with him last week out in Phoenix and uh, it was very interesting to just talk golf swing with him in terms of basically how easy it is for him and also he, he said something to us that said that his swing is like a bow and arrow and that you know kind of you know picture that you're winding the arrow uh, you know the bow backwards with your right hand the string you're pulling the string back with the right hand He's like that's describing his backswing, and then he says it's almost like his left hand moves forward. The 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 you know more solid part of the bow moves forward. That's his hip movement. That's how he described his swing, and that that swing thought it might really help me. I think that might really be a positive. Well, but he was also describing it as how that's unorthodox because like normally when you pull back a bow and arrow, you leave that lead hand still, yeah. and he's like I almost like generate more leverage by like if it was a bow and arrow, like moving my front hand forward, which is. You know, you would think with a bow and arrow that would lead to less accuracy. Uh, the other thing that was funny from that conversation that we had with him was he was like, yeah, I just get my hands into this spot at the top and then I just go. And I was like, oh, hold on, John. Like, go. What does go mean? Because go means a lot different things to a lot of people. Like for me, it means go means I'm going to slide my hips. He's like, no, no, I rotate. You know, and he started then he started digging in on like getting his left hip pointing left. And I don't know. It's really interesting to hear how little. These guys think about technique, right? It's more about like setup that they can control. And then it's like one trigger, get my hands to one spot. And then in his terms, it's go, right? Which is muscle memory of like, and then, but digging in with it a little more, it's, it's like, no, I want to rotate on my back right foot, but I want to get my hips going before my hands go. So it, it was very fascinating. And I think there's a lot of good golf in store for Rahm in, in 2023. Because he does, he does seem like he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder with just like, hey, you know, like I, like you said, like if you look at the numbers, I played great golf. It's just hasn't translated into like maybe it wasn't at the right time of the year for him in, in 2022. I also was a, a teeny bit frustrated with him in that conversation talking about uh, how little he talks about techniques. It's, also, it's like, yeah, yeah, like you put in like thousands, if not like millions of hours, uh, minutes, hours, whatever you want to call it, working on this so you don't have to think about that anymore. Like that's not as simple for everyone to replicate in terms of just go. It's like, yeah, your, your hands are going to find the right spot at the top and then you go. That was, uh, that was a takeaway I had too of like, all right, you're helping, but you're kind of not right now, man. <laughs>
Well, but I think it's it's a testament to the it's feel based a little bit, right? Like, and and you can tell because his swing, if I'm sure people have tried to change it, or or it's not perfect, right? It's it's unorthodox in some ways, but it's like that works for me. It's a, it's uh, he's chasing like these are my triggers, and I think that that's that 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 resonates with me because that's how I try to play golf, right? He he has it's like an athletic based swing, which I think is awesome. Alex Norton finishes T2. I just got to get, he wins a million pounds or a million euros in this event. I just got to give a shout. This dude went from Mayakoba to Houston to Dubai over the last three weeks with a trip to Phoenix in between to hang out with us as well at the same shoot, um, in, in uh, the same Callaway shoot on that Monday. Like just the respect for these dudes showed up at all these, I'm still recovering from the Korea trip like a month ago, like a, from jet lag and uh, to show up and ball out. He's playing some very serious golf right now. So in a big tourist house bump he's got. Yeah. It, it even goes back to the open. He, he was like the first alternate, but instead he flies to Tahoe, right. And finishes second in the, uh, event out there so it's like he's not scared to make moves right he's he's like good for him like he treats it like a business like yo i'm gonna go close this deal here and then i'm gonna <laughs> hop on a plane and go close this deal here like i like i norin is great man he's really uh like enjoyed spending time with him on Taurus sauce and you know manipulating with the owgr side like i i got a lot of respect for the way that guy uh you know kind of builds his calendar i got even more respect after he said Sally, you're exactly right on this you got a great point and he didn't I, say you're exactly right. That is not what he said. He said you have a point. He said you have a point. Thank you for holding me accountable and holding the rest of the DP World Tour accountable as it comes to the World Golf Rankings. That's of what, course, that's of course. Me. That's what he told me. Let's get into that now. Uh, we, we've been dabbling at it, nibbling at it, and it. I, I'm amazed by this now. I, everybody wants to talk about the OWGR. Everyone was making fun of me two, three, four years ago. When I kept wanting to bring it up, but it seems to just keep permeating through the golf conversation these days. All right. Well, let me start this off, right? I did kind of a deep dive this afternoon because I remember it being announced in August, but like, listen, I, did I read the OWGR FAQs? No, I didn't. But did I do that this afternoon? Yes, I did. So they made changes that they took three years to analyze and they brought in a whole committee consultants and they were like, how can we make a more accurate official world golf ranking? And so I want you to check me on this, Ali. As I understand it from, from my reading earlier, they, the changes that went into effect in mid-August were they've introduced a strokes gained component as a way to evaluate strength of field. That's, you know, that's huge. Put, that's a huge difference. We'll get to that. It is. And, and I think there's some pros and cons to it, though, too, that we can get to. They've made put more emphasis placed on field strength and depth. So now there's no more minimum points for a Euro Tour event. Basically, events... It, you know, around the world getting crowned because they're almost like grandfathered in, right? From a from a previous era when when people weren't when the game wasn't as as global, or I guess you could argue as U.S. centric. So, um, it, and that goes to a kind of I think a lot of people have issues with this, maybe because of different views on what the OWGR should be, right? And I'm not going to argue necessarily. Like maybe, maybe in theory, the OWGR should be used to boost global golf, right? Maybe it should be giving more points to the European tour and the Asian tour to help because the money has gotten so outsized from what is given out on the PGA tour that, you know, the, the reasons for playing the DP world tour and the Asian tour are diminished if there's not a ton of ranking points available. Right. So they had this minimum first place points or minimum points uh, aspect to the world rankings in the prior version, where even if the European tour got the worst possible strength of field, they were going to hand out 24 points to the winner. Right. And this would because they were the Euro tour. 
because that if you're a European tour, and I think the Asian tour had a minimum of 14 points. They were going to hand out to the to the winner no matter what happened. And the European tour, I think Eamon Lynch had an article this week, said something like it hit that minimum. It didn't reach that minimum something like 24 or 26 times a year, right? Whereas on the PGA tour, that would happen maybe twice. So it's yeah. an artificial boost to like half of the European tour fields that around and this is where it gets really boring is like it only really affects the guys from like 50 to 200 in some way basically it causes the european tour and asian tour guys rankings to be overinflated because these fields are not as strong as the as the points that are given out at the end of it right and then it creates yes. this circular thing where the ranking so let's say you get an overly inflated ranking to get to 60th your official world golf ranking would also be what sets what it, what you determines what you contribute to field strength, right? So there was no, so basically it's a very circular thing of my rankings overinflated, which I'm adding to the next field, maybe getting that field overinflated. And that was what was causing this bias in the system that has been potentially. So, hold on, let me, let me get, let me get through the, the, the rest of the changes, but I agree with you. I think there a correction needed to be made. My argument will probably be that there may have been a bit of an overcorrection, which I want to get to, but we said more emphasis placed on field strength and then, because of that, more emphasis placed on depth, right? So that kind of weights field size more heavily because if you have a 146 people, it's harder to – they're obviously going to have, like, more points to go around. Then you have the uh, – and, and Data Golf had a good tweet, you know, thread about this that I thought was really helpful. Uh, and, and their kind of general point in this was that it makes it very difficult to compare, to compare limited field events with full-size field events because of the – the weight placed on the depth. And I think also because of the strokes gain factor that's implemented, right? So you're basically saying like a guy, like let's take Rom for instance, didn't win, you know, like he won three times, but like not any, like, I guess you could say elevated events. And, but his strokes gained, like you just outlined, was only like 0.25 worse than it's been when he was at the peak of his powers, right? So he's going to add a ton of depth because of that strokes gain number to any field that he's going to be a part of. And not that's depth, probably the case for depth, like, there's a depth. big fat middle to the PGA tour. Yes. Where a lot of guys are like, you know, basically like, uh, like they use Robert Streb as like the average, like the benchmark golfer, right? Like he would be like the most average PGA tour player. And there's just a million dudes that if you get a field of 146 are going to make that field very strong compared to the 50. Right. But the problem to me is, and I know this, this is a hard argument to make because it's not data-driven, but that doesn't really pass the eye test when you look at, like, I think winning that DP World Tour championship is, like, that's a hard win. Like, at the top, like, they should get more credit in the top 10 or something for winning that event because of the, you know, seven of the top 20 are at that event. Like, Rom beating out Fitzpatrick, U.S. Open winner, beating out Rory. It also just being the culmination of the, the event, like there's some inherent like juice there that's not, I, I guess, accounted for when you start to factor in the strokes gained and then the, the, the size of the field. So I think they're, they may have overcorrected in, in weighting the, the strength of field or the field size uh, is, is kind of what I'm starting to think after I went through this. They may be. I, I'm not going to say this is a perfect system. I think it is important just to note, again, what this is for. This is for the, the official World Golf rankings are for, listen, there's a sponsorship aspect to it. You get some benefits if you get in the top 10 or if you're ranked number one in the world, you get some bonuses from your sponsors. Let's just put that aside for right now. Let's just look at competitive golf 
It is a qualification system to get into the biggest events in golf, right? That, that's, that's what it is. I try to think of it this way. I try to think of a comp, and I, here's what I came up with today. And like, do you care if your NFL team is ranked number one in DVOA, which is like the strokes gained basically version of the NFL, right? Or do you care if your team is eight and one or six and five or whatever? Yeah, I care if they get a, a fourth down stop and win the game. You, you care about the record, right? Like that's the yeah. score. That's the score. And a, and a player's record and finish and all that is like what the score is in golf. Yet there's this whole underlying layer that's trying to predict like what's the predictive value, what's about to happen? What's like the Vegas value of what's about to happen? That's what the strokes gain aspect gives you. It's a real-time rating of what everyone's ability is, not like the convoluted result of their finish. Like what it does, like what it does, you you can you can if you finish between the difference between first and second, the difference in points is outrageous, right? And the difference in money is outrageous. Yet the difference on the golf course is pretty small. Right. So that's what like switching more towards this, this strokes gain world rating is just like a mathematical way of determining what what the probability was that you would beat all those people, like what the accomplishment was of being of beating 50 dudes that are a positive strokes gain player. And like that's where that's where it gets really, really boring. It really does. Like you can't, it's really hard to appreciate how good the average like PGA tour player is. And that part's not sexy. And I think that's the the hard part to I guess the the harsh reality of this is seeing the hard data that shows the middle of the road PGA tour player and the middle of the road DP world tour tour player, the both the volume of guys on the PGA tour and how vast that difference is between that player. And that's what's going to contribute to this. Now, to your point, now so this new system, it used to only count how many top 200 players were in the field. And it's weighted based on, you know, first was obviously worth more than 200, but it only counted that. Now fields are calculated with every player that's in the field. You contribute an amount of what are called performance points to the field. So John Rahm has an outrageous strokes gain world rating of 2.4. He contributes himself 16 points to this field, right? He 16 points goes straight to the field rating, and you add up all the field rating of everyone involved in it, and that's what the points are going to be that you divide up by the end of it. Now, if you scroll down, the maybe the 12th ranked player in the field this week was Adrian Moronk, who was 0.3 strokes gained. He contributes two points to it. And so the reason why the RSM got way, way, way more points added to this this week is the number of players that were in the field. Like if you get a player that is a Pablo uh, is a negative strokes gained player and he adds a stroke to the field. He adds a point to the field. And so if you get a hundred more guys, there, there's only 50 guys in the field this week at the DP World Tour event. And if you start adding up those points, you're just not going to get to a high total. This same thing happened at the Tour Championship and the same thing happened at the BMW Championship. And I'm curious if the guys that are, as they go to look forward to these limited event, elevated events or whatever they're going to be, if they're looking at this OWGR thing and thinking like, I don't know if we want these limited field events because we're going to get eaten alive on the OWGR front. It's not, I guess the part that frustrated me about this past week is it's not, this in particular is not a DP World Tour screwer over. This is the first week where that balance has been off, right? And that, yeah. this was not a topic of conversation for John Rahm and the DP World Tour fans during the Tour Championship that got heavily discounted this year compared to the previous model. This is so, a, a week where it looked really bad on paper, but if you dig into it and the data golf thread, like it was easier to, uh, or I'm sorry, it was harder to win the DP world tour event this week for a top player than it was to win the RSM. So in that part, it was imperfect, but the further you dig down, it's harder for like the Robert Streb level player to earn the appropriate amount of points 
at the RSM than it would have been at the DP World Tour. So the the weighting in the, and that's where you can argue like it should be more towards the top and the bottom or the limited field events should have a different distribution. I think that's the point Rom's trying to get to. I guess my frustration is like he's a smart, thoughtful dude, and I think he knows that. And when you distill it down into calling it laughable, I think that's when you're overgeneralizing it, right? And the people are going to pick up on that and they're going to follow it. And I know it's a hard point to make, but it's not laughable. It's just like you don't love this little mathematical intricacy of how it works. So a lot there. A lot. I, I agree with you on like your overview of this makes a ton of sense, right? And like the in some ways on paper, like the, the strength of field thing is um, it's justified, Right. I, I get and, and you're I agree with you on the depth thing. Like it, it does kind of say the as you said earlier, like the quiet part out loud of like, yo, the average player on the PGA tour is just a lot better than the average player on the DP World Tour. Like that's you know kind of a problem for the Euro Tour, right? The, the there's a, a bit of a, a common sense element to this though. Like let's ask Augusta National. Who would, would would they rather have the winner of the RSM or the winner of the DP World Tour championship? As like if they were just gonna do an auto like you know, exemption based on those two. I think they'd probably say the winner of the DP World Tour Championship. For sure. And so it's kind of like, then why is the RSM getting 12 more world, you know, like so many more points? Like that, there, there's something where there's an overcorrection there. Like that doesn't make sense to me from a, just a common sense standpoint, e- even with all of the justification with the data. So there's that factor to it. And I think the PJ Tour, this could be a, a PR nightmare for them coming up like you said earlier they're going they're they're leaning in heavily to this elevated we want the best players on the pga tour playing together 15 times or 14 times next year and those are going to be limited field events because they want to reward those guys with big money right so that that's if that's the route they're going to go then all of a sudden if they change the rules with the owgr because oh wait a second now it nah, we should change this. It's going to look like they're basically just making it up on the fly when it benefits them, right? Because their strategy is going that way. So I think they should do that. But what I'm what I'm kind of getting at is that that message is not going to look good, right? It's going to be yeah. like, oh, well, now it's helpful to you. So you're going to change the OWGR, which is then you're going to devalue the OWGR and the majors might just freaking figure it out for themselves and like move away from this, which I think is bad for golf. I would like the everybody to be bought into this world ranking system because I think that's, you know... A, but I think some changes probably do need to be made. It's just if they don't get out in front of this now, like I, and that's why, like you said at the end, I am thrilled that Rom is bringing this up. He yeah. should be like, like I, I you know, maybe laughable is not the right word, but hey, yo, I, he's raising his hand and saying like, yo, you're telling me that we're gonna play a bunch of limited field events. Well, guess what you're telling? What, like Rom could have waltzed into the RSM and won that running away, right? And so are you? In, you're basically kind of incentivizing him to do the opposite of what you want him to do, which is go play with Rory and Fitzpatrick and Lowry. Well, you know, actually I'm going to go play the RSM and just bank world ranking points. So now you're just like, you're kind of, uh, you got some things that are not aligned there. Yeah. And that's where I think what is, uh, first of all, to your point, I, I think that's a future problem that is not currently on the table. If the PGA Tour goes and tries to change the OWGR, I agree with you. Like that's going to be a bad look. We're not there though, like, and that's what, not what they're trying to do at any point, right? So that's we can deal with that if it comes to that, right? So that's that's inventing a problem a little bit for right now. But it's also like you look at Akshay Bhatti. I just pulled this up. He finished 45th this week at the RSM. Super unsexy. There's there's no commercial value to any of that. That doesn't make the TV product any better. No one that tuned in this week cares where he finished. 
but he had to beat like a hundred really freaking good golfers to get that spot. And that's sure. where those points come in, right? And that's where it's gonna like just math. math. Again, he 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 played a hundred and however many guys were in the field this week, and he beat like a hundred of them. That's where the value in his performance comes in, and the points he gets for it, right? And that's that's what what you you know you get more points for uh, beating a John Rom. Like there's two ways to getting to a field strength. It's a you know a bunch of top fifty guys get you to a field strength of one fifty or a, or a lot more lower ranked guys. Uh, and the the way the math works out is pretty similar to like probability and all the really boring stuff. So again, it's way way in the weeds. I I don't know if it's perfect, but I do know that this makes a lot of sense for trying to like globally place all of this random golf that's happening, right? Well, it's, it's just, but there's a, there's an inherent bias then to, and, and maybe this is just the fact of the matter of it, it makes it very PGA tour centric, right? So, so it's not great for global golf of like, you would want to, to be a thriving Euro tour, but what you're basically saying is if we're going to go off of the field size and we're going to use strokes gained, then that's going to make the depth of that field just based on sheer numbers, a lot more valuable. So I don't, and like to answer your question, it it definitely is an imperfect ranking system. Do I think it's, did it answer some of the questions that were the issue before? Yes. But has it now like one solution has created, you know, some unintended consequences here, which need to be acknowledged. So I think, I don't know, man, I think think better representation of competitive golf as it stands. And if you want, if I think the path to supporting the DP world tour is with more money than it is giving it more points. Like more money is going to lead to more competition. The reason why the PGA, it's not because American golfers are better than the rest of the world. It's because the most money is in America and the most and international players are traveling and would rather compete there for the most money. A hundred percent. And that's right? but also I don't I, I just don't think it's the OWGR's job to like yeah. boost the DP World Tour is my point. I would love to see bit, bigger purses on the DP World Tour and better fields. I think I think there should be more elevated uh, co-sanctioned events on the DP World Tour. That yes, sign me up for that too. That makes a ton of sense. I think it, again, what this addresses is just ha- is giving out. I, a lot I of guess the the small. answer and the data golf thread also made me think this too. They the problem. I think if we boil it down after this discussion, it's like they have to figure out a better way to compare limited field, like high tier limited yep. field events, with 144 like maxed out events. Right, like there there's just that comparison. I don't know what the answer to that is. That's for the, you know, the freaking data nerds to figure out. But like, there's got to be a way to make that comparison a little bit uh, more comparable, right? So that you get, I don't know, you should get a, 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 the part to me that didn't make the most sense was the fact that there were just more points available at the RSM than the DP World Tour event. And I, and I, you know, again, we go back to the data and why that is, but like, that that's there are a lot of good golfers dueling against each other at the DP World Tour event, and they should feel like that is a worthwhile, like, use of their time. Like they should want to plan their schedule to go to that. Right? That that just feels like something. That feels like the issue to me. I guess I'm I don't have the answer to it. I'm just trying to like almost think out loud here on like what is the what is the root problem? And that seems like especially if we're gonna go 
with all these limited field events, the big issue. So anyway, we have a guest in the studio, Solly. We, we do have a guest. We're going to bring her in shortly. But first, listen, there's a, there's a way you can, uh, that maybe not we can, but the way these guys, some of these uh, guys and gals out in the world of golf can improve their world ranking. And that's with the Rapsodo MLM, the number one rated personal launch monitor on the market today. It features incredibly precise measurements. It's got remarkable accuracy, data-rich visuals, performance combines, at the end of your range session, it shows you a Doppler radar that shows you where you hit every ball, how far you hit every ball, what your patterns are. It definitely improves the way you practice. It teaches you what you need to be working on. It teaches you what your median shot is. Any range session where you're not using the mobile launch monitor from Rapsodo, you're probably wasting a little bit of your practice time. It helps you practice with a purpose, and that leads to better scores and better golf. This thing is tiny. It fits on the outside of your golf bag. It's the size of a range finder. And the MLM from Rapsodo you can get right now until December 4th. They're offering a $150 discount on the MLM uh, or a $200 discount off the MLM and their premium subscription bundle only at Rapsodo.com. Again, Rapsodo. Com. Bringing in our guest to help us recap this past LPGA Tour season and the CME Tour Championship this past week, Miss Michelle Wee West. Michelle, how are you? Hi, how are you guys? Thanks so much for popping on. We are doing well. We're arguing about world ranking points and all this stuff as you came in, and it's not fun at all. So uh, we're excited to bring you in to help shine some color on what we saw this past week. Yeah, the world ranking points, um, very complicated. Um, I haven't deep dived in it yet, so I don't think I'm the person to ask quite yet, but maybe in a week. Give me a week. No, we're over it. Really we we want to move we're, uh, above okay. the shoulders, <laughs> like yeah, too many numbers. Just, let's let's uh, talk storylines. Even when I was playing on tour, I, I never understood world ranking points. It's just, it's so complicated. It's like you can drop so fast, and then, but then you climb your way back up. But then all of a sudden, like, you know, someone jumps you by playing one, well one week. I don't know. It was like very confusing, but I'm sure there are people way smarter than me that are figuring it out. Well, you know, uh, this may be a questionable move on our part. We're bringing in some some competition really to help us recap the week, because as I understand it now, you are also a golf podcaster. Well, you know, not competition. We're doing golf <laughs> mostly, um, you know, where we talk about golf. Mostly, I feel like you guys talk golf all the time. So there's so <laughs> sounds like a trap draw competitor. Um, <laughs> but you know, not competitor. I would say hopefully collaborator at one point. You know, all friends in the game, all trying to grow the game. Um, you know, obviously a huge fan of you guys. So we'll be learning. I was mostly mostly joking. I believe we can we can classify this as collaborating here. But so Lydia Co season kind of help us. You know. First, I guess, going all the way back to helping us shine a light on uh, her ridiculous rise through her teenage years and kind of, I, I don't even want to say a drop-off. Like it was inevitable there was going to be a drop-off of some kind, but it certainly seems like the Lydia Ko, I don't, the question for you, is this the Lydia Ko of old? Is this the best golf Lydia Ko has played in her career as she wins for the third time this year and wins a CME Tour Championship and wins a $2 million prize, the biggest prize in women's golf history to this point? What, what's your reaction when you watch Lydia Ko play golf these days? You know, she's just so consistent for me. Um, you know, she just seems like she's really coming to her own. Um, you know, she's a full-fledged adult now. You know, she's not a 15-year-old brace-wearing, you know, player on tour. She's a fully-fledged adult who's, you know, making her own decisions and, you know, going out there and playing because she loves the game and knows the impact that she has on the game. Um, you know, when she was 15 and winning golf tournaments, she was a phenom. You know, she was you know, just so consistent, so good, and then just kept following up with it. 
you know, obviously, as we all know, golf is a really hard sport. Um, and I've had my fair share of up and downs. And, you know, she's had her fair shares of up and downs. I don't think her downs are ever as bad as mine. But, you know, she's just so consistent. And I think her love for the game is just unwavered. And it's really cool to see her, you know, pick up the biggest check in women golf history. Big kudos to Terry Duffy from CME for, you know, really believing in the LPGA and, um, you know, making this tournament such a success. I appreciate in her post round too. I think she was asked, I heard the end of the question, but it was like, what are you going to buy with this? And she was like, ah, it's not really as much about the money here as I just really wanted to win the championship. Right. Which it, that's the right answer. I know, but I always appreciate hearing that, hearing that, you know, you want to win the season long race. You want to make it feel like that, uh, your season was worthwhile. This, this format is interesting because all 60 players that make the CME tour championship have an equal chance to win it. There's no handicapping. There's no points race or anything like that. It resets into this week yet the cream seems to rise at this turn every year it's been uh, the the storyline and the winner has made a ton of sense what what is there anything to that how would you describe why that has happened that way you know i think on our tour um there's so much talent on our tour you know the top 60 goes out there and all 60 have a legitimate chance to win the tour championship. And like you said, everyone has a fair chance. You know, we don't have any of the handicapping like men does, but I think the way the golf course is set up, I think the way the conditions were, especially today, um, you know, gusty, colder, it, it sets up for the best player to win. And, you know, Lydia Ko won the Bear Trophy, won player of the year. You know, it's just a good week for her. I'm really proud of her. But, you know, at any moment, Leona McGuire looked like she was going to run away with it at one point. You know, Anna Norquist made a huge run for it today. The talent is amazing out there. I mean, you see the low number. It's not, it, they make Tiburon look really easy. It's not that easy. <laughs> Overhead images give me nightmares. It's like everything I, that gives me nightmares about Florida golf. There's water one side, OB, palmettos everywhere. There, and just no one hits it in that trouble. It's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. Some yeah, dicey I, chipping spots too. Yeah, um, the, those pot bunkers. Oh, yeah. The pot bunkers for sure still give me PTSD and nightmares. Um, I've been in the lip of the bunkers one too many times over there. Um, it's a good golf course. I mean, you see in the shootout. It's a great golf course, especially when the conditions get a little bit tough and gusty. Those bunkers really come into play. And, you know, Lydia Ko has one of the best short games out there, best bunker play, best, you know, hands out there. So that really is her an advantage. Is there, I hate asking a question this generic almost, but, you know, the next, I guess, turn we'd want to see from Lydia is returning to a major champion, right? So what what has, does anything have to change for her? Or is it, is this, you know, you roll this style of play out there and she's, bound to get a major championship victory of some kind uh, in the next year. What, what Any reason you would say as to, as to why we haven't seen Lydia win a major in a couple of years? No, I mean, it's really hard. To win I, it's insane. It really is. You know, I think it's, uh, you just, you see these top ranked players and you just expect them to win a major every year because Tiger kind of set that standard, right? You know, we're just so used to a dominant player, a really good top tier player, just winning a major. And Tiger made it seem so easy. Rory made it seem so easy. Dustin Johnson, you know, like some of these players, I feel like have set the standard and made majors look really easy. Like Jordan Spieth, when he was going on that, you know, major run, he was just winning everything left and right. Um, but winning majors is extremely difficult. There's four, there's five on our tour. And it's just, you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes with 
entering that week. But I think Lydia Ko just needs to keep doing what she's doing. Um, she's for sure going to win a major within, you know, may, I, hopefully next year, if not the next year. Um, but she's going to win. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. There seems like there's a lot of uh, similarities between Lydia's season and Rory's season. Like before you hopped on, Michelle, we were just talking about how Rory didn't win a major this year, but he had an all-time season and finishes first on both the you know PGA Tour and the DP World Tour rankings. Do you feel like Lydia, you know, and it seems like Rory acknowledges that he had a good season in his you know post round today. Do you feel like Lydia feels like she had a good season, or would would you feel that way? You know, with without the major, I would hope so. Yeah, for sure. Winning yeah. three times, you know, winning a golf tournament is really hard too. I mean. You have to be 144 of the best players out there. Um, and that's a grueling – people don't realize it's a grueling four days out there. You know, a competition within yourself, but also other people and the level of play is just so amazing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would – if I had the season that Lydia had, I would for sure call it a success. I would not okay, call good. it a disappointment. <laughs> if I did, please slap me in the face. Um, <laughs> but, no, I think she obviously would have loved to have won a major, but at the same time, I think she walks away this season with her held, head held up high um, and a very happy woman. Well, help us out with another story that ha- that came out this week. Uh, Beth Ann Nichols wrote it for Golf Week in terms of there was a, a an event that Mr. Duffy, who you you mentioned earlier from CME Group, that uh, was hosting this week, where he you know made a call for players. You know, there, it's a corporate event, and uh, asked for LPGA players in the room to stand up, and the lights shone shined on, and there were no LPGA players uh, that showed up at this uh, some some kind of dinner of something this week, and it kind of made the rounds on social media, and this story just kind of. It, it it hit me in a weird way because all of our experiences on the LPGA tour have been the complete opposite of this in terms of I'm amazed at you know some of the pro-am parties I've been to or the experiences I've had of how many LPGA players show up at these things and support, you know, knowing who writes the checks and knowing just how to support them and what you're providing those, those sponsors. What did you make of that story that came out this week? And is there any kind of explanation for for how this happened this past week that, you know, the sponsor, the, the race of the CME felt like he got kind of shortchanged a bit by the LPGA Tour players? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I can totally understand, um, you know, Terry's point of view, you know, to go up on stage and to kind of go through that in front of his friends is, you know, very embarrassing. Um, you know, I wasn't there, so I don't know firsthand, but I'm sure there has to have been some big misunderstanding between the LPGA, the players, and, you know, Terry. There's no way that our organizations, our players would do that on purpose or do that in a in a, in, in a purposeful way. Um, so first off, I think there was just a huge mistake, huge misunderstanding between the organization, the players, and um, that were supposed to go. And Mr. Duffy, to my understanding, it seemed like Serena Williams um, was supposed to speak and pulled out. Um, so that I think that was a key fact that was omitted from the article. Um, I also do feel like the article was just slightly unnecessary. <laughs> I'm just was surprised I even made the news outlets. But yeah, I mean, I don't think that in any way, you know, our tour would have done that on purpose. There's, you know, our tour respects Mr. Duffy to the highest extent. And we're so grateful you know, for CMA support of the tour championship, you know, having a a huge check, the biggest check in women's golf history this week is monumental for us. So it's just blows my mind to think that this would ever have 
happened. You know, it's just a really, it, it must have been a series of really unfortunate events. You know, that that happens in life, unfortunately. You know, it's a, it's a big organization. There's a lot going on. The tour championship, I'm sure that, you know, on our tour, you know, our employees on our organization work four jobs. You know, there's a million things that the employees of the LPGA does. So there must have been like one missed email or one missed phone call. Um, you know, unfortunately that this had to happen. Um, it's, it's a very unfortunate situation, but it just must have snowballed into this happening. And I'm sure they feel just so awful, so embarrassed that this happened. Um, and it's hopefully something that we can avoid in the future. Um, I think that the LPGA players, I think acting like a founder is still very much instilled in every player on our tour. We know where we came from. The 13 founders, the 13 women came together, you know, to form our tour. And we know the sacrifices that they, that they made to make our tour. So I find it very hard to believe that the players, um, like I said in the article, are just forgetting about all that. And it was just unfortunate that it got aired out um, the way that it did. Yeah, and to, to Molly Marcosamon's credit, the commissioner of the LPGA Tour, she said there hasn't been a greater supporter of the LPGA than CME Group and Terry Duffy. There was clearly a disconnect, and it's my responsibility to make sure that this doesn't happen. So on this particular issue, I'm taking full responsibility as a leader of the organization to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Because uh, I saw I saw a lot of comments that were flowing this week of, eh, this would have never happened under Mike Wan. And uh, yeah, like I, I, I wanted a, a chance to ask you about that because, like I said, it just doesn't – I've I, if anything, I've come from away from every LPGA event raving about like how much you guys get it in terms of uh the, how much the sponsors are are flowing you know keeping your sport flowing and growing in the way that it is really and the new schedule was announced for next year over 100 million dollars in purses for the 2023 lpga season and there's so much positive momentum that uh i just there had to be more to it that was kind of my, my thinking and uh yeah i'm sure there's just some kind of confusion as to you know who was expected to be there and and, and how it fell through but um, very, very no, strange. Solid. I, I was, I had that flag too, to say, like, I, I appreciated the commissioner kind of hand up, like I'm, I'm owning this one. Uh, but Michelle, what's your experience with, with Molly? Because she's been commissioner for 18 months and I feel like I watch a good amount of golf, uh, probably more than the average golf fan. And I feel like I've never heard her, like, I've never heard an interview with her. I haven't heard, you know, I honestly, until the article, like I, I didn't really even know what she looked like. And for me, it's like, I, I'm thinking the first year or so, she's probably trying to, you know, she's on her listening tour or she's trying to get her understand the organization, but um, I, I don't know much about her. So I'm curious, like what your experience is with, uh, with the new commissioner. Yeah. Um, you know, being on the board, I've had a lot of opportunity come, you know, to talk to her, to come across with her and, um, you know, love her as a person. I think she is amazing human being. Um, you know, I think that it's been it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year to be a commissioner of the LPG tour. Um, and also the first year as a commissioner, just getting thrown in and then you get just all these scenarios thrown at you. Um, so I think she's just taking extra time to, you know, really do the right things um, with our tour. There's a lot of really complicated issues out there right now. So I think she's just like taking time to, 
make sure she says the right things, does the right thing. Um, you know, and I think in comparison to Mike, you have someone that is very comfortable talking in front of the media, talking in front of the camera, being in front of people. And I think, you know, personality wise, I think she is different from Mike and that's okay. And I just don't think it's fair to expect the same thing, you know, just be like, Oh, I've heard Mike talk so much about A, B and C you know, personality wise, Molly may not be the same. And I don't think she is the same. So probably just hearing less from her because she's probably maybe not as comfortable speaking in front of the masses like Mike, um, as we all know, um, you know, Mike self-described Mike is a talker. He will tell you that himself. (laughs) It's a tough act to follow. I think it's hard for anyone to kind of compare themselves to, to Mike in that sense. But yeah, I thought that the statement that she made following the CME um, was really great. And I think showed that she was a great leader because she take took, she didn't try to put the blame on anyone else. She didn't try to scapegoat anyone. Um, and as a leader, I respect that. I respect that she took the responsibility. Um, it's a shame that, you know, nothing but positive, um, news came out of last week because last week should have been a celebration the entire week. Um, and it's just sad that one article kind of dampened a little bit, but, um, you know, having Lydia win, um, I think that was a really positive thing for CME. And it's just, it was just, I think all the players that I've talked to um, said they had an amazing experience there. So I think that's something that we should focus on um, instead of just one little trivial thing that happened and got blown up. Yeah, I do hate when when some of these stories, which I'm as guilty as anyone on this, as, as throwing gas on it in terms of having, the, you know, a negative story like that be kind of the highlight of the week uh, or, you know, the thing that gets highlighted the most. But uh, we appreciate your perspective on that. Had to ask you about that. No, people love drama. I enjoy drama, too. I have to say, <laughs> a drama I watch reality yet. TV. <laughs> <I am. laughs> well, Michelle, thanks for jumping on. She's got a new podcast with Holly Ledbetter. It's called Golf Mostly. Be sure to check it out. And uh, we'll 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 ring you up any Sunday night that you have free to come on anytime here to shine some light on scene. So appreciate yeah, your time. Come on. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Well, let's sorry. Let's get to a couple of questions here from the listeners. I got one from Greg Bosch here that I thought was pretty good. Do we have a Rory Rom rivalry? Rom seems to be the only big name player who disagrees with Rory's opinions. Will it be a problem in Rome? As our resident Ryder Cup expert, what are your thoughts? I do not think so. Um, there were some clo- uh, quotes flying around this week as well that were talking about uh, Rom's appreciation for for Rory stepping up and standing up for what he believes in uh, in the past, you know, year or whatever, and sitting in all those meetings and things that Rom has no interest in doing. I think there was definitely some recognition of that. I think it uh, there's some unnamed people out there that are trying to throw some major gas on this, but I don't necessarily think it's a thing. I think there's gonna be. Like without a doubt, not just between Rom and Rory, between a lot of the top guys, there's going to be some disagreements on how things are going to shake out, right? And Rom had some comments a few months ago about you know how the new schedule was going to fit for him. And there's going to have to be some changes on things like that. And while the group of guys that were in the Delaware meeting are unanimous in their agreement in wanting to play together more often and kind of that general consensus, the details of working that out still needs to be determined. And there's going to be differences. Yeah. There's going to be sacrifices being made. But I definitely don't think that there's there's much to uh, you know there's much to definitely don't see that being a problem in Rome. I'd love to be able to stoke that fire to be able to say that yeah you guys are totally screwed for Rome, but I just don't think that's going to be the case. So I would add to that. I feel like like I ho- I kind of hope there's a rivalry brewing here. Like not like I I'm glad that the top players on tour have kind of united and they've in spirit like signed on and be like, Hey man, like we're not going to go down without a fight and we need to make our tour better and we need to make it more entertaining and 
all of that's awesome. That said, I don't need all these guys to like each other. You right? don't need like to be we, best friend. Like the results, right? like on the on course. Like yeah. I hope Rom wants to beat the shit out of Rory. For I really sure. do. I hope, and and vice versa. Like I would like there to be a little bit more juice because honestly, all the guys that were the villains, they left. They took their ball and went home. So now we, you know, we need a little bit of uh, of uh, drama and and some rivalry in the game. And if those two are because they are they are seem to be different, and Rom seems to, you know, kind of have a. Uh, and I think you have to be if you want to be number one, like looking for a challenge, looking for a reason to have a chip, like looking for a slight. And I, and I think that a lot of top tier competitors operate that way. So I'm, I'm kind of rooting for a rivalry on the golf course. Right. But but I hope that that doesn't lead to like, you know, some of these guys subverting the the group because you know, because of ego or whatever. And I don't think that's what's happening here, but I, I'm kind of rooting for it, like in competition, like on the playing field. I would love to see Rom and Rory go at it next year a bunch. That would be awesome. If you haven't listened to the Xander Shoffley pod from this past week, he had a little comment in there that kind of uh, caught me just a little bit by surprise. He's like, you know, talking about the, all those guys getting together and meeting, coming up with the plans for the future and said, you know, it, you know, basically some of us, we don't like each other, you know, or this, this kind of, uh, you know, competitive atmosphere is still there, right? Everyone's making a lot of money, but at the same time, like I'm sure you walk by a dude on the range. You just want to be like, I'm better than that guy. Like I'm going to beat that guy. Like you just have to create this kind of like, I don't like this guy. Um, you know, I definitely don't like him beating me. That's all still going to be there. And that's what I think you and I both like about competitive golf. And I think that aspect is going to be totally there. I will miss a lot of the villains for sure. A lot of the dudes that left are the villains that I still didn't like root against them on the golf course. Like as much as I dislike Bryson, I still rooted for him in the golf course because it was always entertaining to watch that playing style out there. And I know we're just not going to have some of that, but at the same time, it's going to be interesting to see who really separates themselves. Yeah, you wanted those guys in it until Sunday, so then you could root against them, right? Yes. Like that's that's the fun part. It's like, sure. man, he's really good, but I don't like him. Like that's what we're we're missing a little bit of that now on tour. So. And I like, I really like both Rory and Rom. Like I root for both of them, so that would be a fun rivalry for me to uh, to watch if it if it starts to uh, buck its head a little bit. Rory had some comments this week as well on Greg Norman. Uh, he said Greg needs to go. He needs to exit stage left. He made his mark, but I think now is the right time to say you've got this thing off the ground. No one's going to talk unless there's an adult in the room that can actually try to mend fences. I appreciate Rory's willingness to engage on this. I think that's there's nothing to win here. Uh, he's not going to convince any live fans that this is the right call, and it's only going to add fuel to their hate that they've developed for him. Um, but I appreciate his willingness to speak on it. I still push back that I don't. I don't know what reconciliation looks like at this point. Um, I am sure he has a better idea of what that would be than I do, and maybe does see a way that things can get you know, mended in some way. He also had some comments about the lawsuits need to be dropped. And I, I totally agree with that. Uh, but just found his willingness to, to say Greg Norman needs to be fired uh, as a as someone who's definitely not a part of that league. I found that to be very interesting. Well, this is where you and I might differ just a little bit is like my biggest complaint. Like I'm not, you know, I don't find the live format and stuff to be something I'm interested in, but I think what would help a ton is if they just didn't tell me, like we were talking to Porter about this a couple months ago, like don't tell me how awesome it is at every point. Like, yo, look how, like this, you guys are missing out. Like, look how awesome this is. It's like, if they put somebody in place that was just like, let's just go do the work and come up for air like a year or two later. And it's like, maybe it could be. 
you know, maybe like that would be like Rory's right. That would be smart for them to do. Like not having a, a you know, freaking circus Barnum, PT Barnum running the show would probably be a smart move for Liv, right? To make it like if you want it to be something sustainable without just like this week to week circus, that's, you know, he's almost giving him a free idea. So, and I, and I got to think some of these players like, I, you know, I'm sure they don't like some of the guys that went over to live, but at the same time, they're like, man, there's still some good golfers over there. Like, it, the, you know, it's it, they what what is detrimental to the guys that have stayed on the PGA Tour is that if there's always going to be an asterisk, well, yeah, you won, but like Dustin wasn't playing, or like yeah, you won, but Cam Smith wasn't playing. So did you really win? You know, like having that bifurcated, you know, some of the best players in the world or somewhere else is probably like if they're looking at it from just like unbiasedly, like that's you know, that's probably an issue for them. Yeah, I think that issue is past being resolved, though. I, I also don't think, I, I mean, there's enough, you know, critical mass at the PGA Tour level that I don't think any wins are discounted by Cam or, or DJ not being there. But Well, that's where I disagree, though, because if, like, let's say Liv did the hard work, and they, they put in somebody, you know, capable, competent to run it, and they did the hard work of being OWGR certified, it's like, yeah, for like they they got all the requirements and then the 12 month clock starts. And then a year later, they are an eligible tour. Man, that's that I got no problem with that. Right. What I do have a problem with this is them saying, like, hey, like we should be grandfathered in, like the rules don't apply to us. I think that's bullshit. For sure. But if they go and do the work, even though I don't really like the tour, I don't want to watch it, like I, it's like, hey, man, you guys are you guys are in now, and yeah, all of them will careen down the world ranking points until that happens. But I guess that's where I'm I'm saying like that to me would be a little bit of uh, a path towards reconciliation, as you say. It's like, yeah, now you guys are a, a certified tour because you did you did it the right way, like you went through the you know the channels. Like, does that you know, change the sports washing stuff. Do I still think that a foreign government, any foreign government should run professional golf? No, it doesn't. But like, it's still like, Hey, I'm not going to like everything. Right. Like if you qualify, you qualify. I, I just I want to take this moment to highlight is again, how, how far away they are from qualifying in terms of the, the essence of what they are with being a long-term contracts selective league is so far from the qualification aspect that like it, it would break down what they are. That's why they're not going to, sure. they're not going to do it and they're not going to get it. Like it, because you have to have a competitive underlying aspect of qualifying for this thing that they're never going to have. Yeah. They're gonna I, but I guess that's probably Rory's point is if somebody competent came in and said that to them, like, yeah. Hey, we got to make these changes. Yeah. Like would it, you could argue it would ruin what they're trying to do. That's one argument. Like, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I'm trying to like read what Rory's thinking here. And that's probably what he's thinking is like, God, just like everybody shut up over there about how cool and awesome and rich you are. Yes. And why don't you just play golf and like try to like build a competitive tour? If that's what you're going to do, just go over there and do it. Right. Just go. You're good, man. But stop complaining about how like, oh, and suing people and all that shit. It's such a waste of everyone's time. Bryson said, I don't know if you want to you take a victory lap on this one. Bryson said he didn't feel very good after gaining 40 to 50 pounds. What? I, I, this was, I did not see this one coming. Did you? Ooh, who could have predicted that one, Sally? God, I would, yeah, I would like to take a little victory lap. Like who, who could have predicted that gaining 40 to 50 pounds uh, and eating 7,000 calories of protein shakes and just bacon and straight meats would, would mess up your gut? 
And and there's also an interesting line in there about like, yeah, I was, you know, I was in a bad mood all the time and feeling feeling grumpy. It's like, well, you know, what are you putting in your body, bud? Like that's that's gonna have an impact. And also, like, yeah, he had some serious injuries this last season. You know, you start putting that much torque on your ligaments and joints. Like, I just that was like the biggest, you know, the easiest call of the century two years ago. So, yeah, I would like to take a little victory lap. I was early on that call. Hell yes. I miss, I miss Bryce. That was what, 2020? I think we did that show and tell podcast in June. It was before like, golf returned. You were causing, you were calling alarm bells to say like, Bryson's gotten massive. Like you guys need to start paying. <laughs> they showed up at the Schwab. Yeah. Looking like a fullback. Uh, oh my God. That was, I'll never, I'll never forget that time period. Bryson like took over pro golf for like nine months and then it just was, it was over. It was over that. Oh, man, we gotta, we gotta get DJ to dig up the, uh, that video he made where he put, <laughs> Bryson in, in in the paperboy cap like it was a World War II like pre movie reel like the boys are are storming into Berlin and Bryson's dropping bombs all over the place and then he got DCMA'd and they took it off the uh oh hold on my light just went out because I yelled the clapper went off hold on we're back so anyway yeah that was that was good thank you for letting me uh you know do a little touchdown dance there. Uh, Jimmy Dunn is joining the PGA Tour Policy Board as an independent director. Uh, I think this is a great thing. Seems to be for the PGA Tour. He's got a great relationship with Jay Monahan, great relationship with a lot of the players, and is probably seen as a uh, just a, a good person to have as a representative of one of the 10 votes on the uh, on the policy board. Um, probably more to come from that one. I imagine we'll hear some color from uh, from Rory and a lot of the gang uh, in coming. Yeah, weeks. that guy seems to just be the... Everyone loves the prototypical board member advisor, like a guy that shoots you straight and has the, you know, has the right compass. So yeah, that's definitely a good thing for golf. It's going to, it sounds like it's going to be a a part of his job is going to be help retain talent on the PGA tour. Um, And as a trusted advisor to a lot of these guys, I think that will can, can only help. It's probably too, it's a little too late. At least these are measures that, you know, maybe could have been made uh, a long time ago if they'd have seen this threat coming properly, but it's a, a positive from this point forward. A couple more things I really got here. Uh, there's changes to PGA Tour U. We're not going to break down all the details uh, of this one, but if you're interested, you could. Uh, there's a great article from Ryan Labner that I retweeted earlier this week to show uh, how the PGA Tour plans to graduate some talent from the college and amateur ranks into the PGA Tour. It's a complicated system that might, if you thought the OWGR co- uh, conversation earlier was was too deep then I, you're definitely not gonna not well gonna no but it's important to note that anybody that thought that was too deep they're probably gone so the people that yeah <laughs> don't think it's too deep are probably still listening i think it's important like the why why is this important is like giving the top tier amateurs uh like a chance to go get it immediately out of college that way the really live offer doesn't look quite i mean the live as it stands now go maybe qualify for the coin ferry tour or take live money up front is can be yeah. a pretty easy decision whereas this is like hey the top finisher in pga tour you earns tour membership after the ncaa championship and is ve- and is eligible for all open full field tournaments for the remainder of the year so you win that pga tour you you go to the pga tour like that that is a change and you get probably 14 starts after that um and then you're also exempt into the final stage of pga tour q school if that um, does not, if those starts do not go well enough for you to retain your status, then uh, you can exempt into that final stage. That's a nice benefit. Plus, well, yeah, and it's important to like reward, you know, amateurism in golf has always been very important, maybe more so than other, you know, sports. 
when you compare the amateur game to the pro game. So it's always been a disadvantage for somebody that's stuck around to win the national championship, to play in the USAM. You know, they're at a disadvantage because they're halfway, then they come on tour, like we were talking about with Cole Hammer. They're halfway through the Corn Ferry schedule. They're just behind the eight ball, right? And they have to go use sponsor exemptions, and that's stressful. And then, you know, I think this is this is definitely a step in the right direction. Is it needlessly complicated? Maybe, but you know, it's trying to trying to make it work in a complex system. It probably has to be. Yeah, you got. I mean, if they with what happened with the Alex Fitzpatrick situation, I, I don't fault them for making it complicated and sure. well defined and drawing hard parameters around it, but. Um, you can also start accruing through the accelerated program. You can start accruing points towards status as a freshman, starting with a freshman. If you get 20, uh, 20 points by the end of your third year of eligibility, and you can get points through like winning the Haskins award. If you win the Hogan, you win the Nicholas. If you're outstanding freshman, you rack up like 11 points for all of those. And if you get an NCAA individual championship, you get three points. If you go you know, get to world number one in the amateur ranking, you get five points. Um, and if you get up to 20, you can get an automatic qualification. I, I alleged, apparently, the tour said uh, Cantlay, JT, and Patrick Rogers would have been the only three guys that would have qualified under the system had it been in place uh, over the past uh, 12 years or so. But basically, it's like, hey, you ball out in college, you're going straight to the PGA Tour. Like It's like the uh, amateur or, battlefield promotion. Sorry, straight to, straight to the Corn Ferry uh, finals in that regard. But yeah, it's it's interesting. It's good. It's good, good development. little in the weeds, but it's a good development. You know what's not in the weeds? Patrick Reed's lawsuit against uh, Brandel Chambly. I hated seeing this get dismissed so early. I was really hoping for uh, a real discovery phase in this matter, but um, it instills just a little bit of faith in the justice system that a judge <laughs> threw that out. And I, I don't know how I got on Clayman's email list, so I'm getting his outrageous, you know, updates on these. I mean, the guy must have the thesaurus sitting next to his his computer because he's just throwing big big words into all of his email updates on these lawsuits that must mean we're next then finally we've been waiting for it but if we're, if you're on his email list that you must be what's uh the head email uh distribution list for for no laying up somewhat but, uh <laughs> what are your good. thoughts on the new pga tour app that, that was unveiled this week so i have some thoughts and i guess i gotta frame them in the way that like i think about our we don't have an app but like our pro shop for instance like i hope the, the things that matter is does it load quickly does this one load a little quicker than the old one? Yes, it does, which is great. It used to take like five to 10 seconds for the old one to, you know, turn the engine over, right? And it would kind of just show me that like presented by TaylorMade ad for like 10 seconds. And then you got there and the color scheme with the blue and stuff, I never really liked it. Hard to find things. Um, so I think the home screen is a lot more engaging with the video on the front and I feel like it runs quicker. So that's great. Um, it's always tough to get used to like, Buttons are in new places, but I do find the leaderboard to be a little easier to access, which is usually the only reason I'm going to the PGA Tour app is to check the leaderboard. So it's a step in the right direction, but they're still trying to shove like their their stories, their articles, like, hey, what's in the bag for Svensson? Like, eh, I don't really, not really interested. I just want to see the leaderboard. Um, and so then you click on the leaderboard, and I mean, the biggest issue is it's still like full page ads that kind of take up the the whole thing. So I wish that they, with this new app, they would have maybe reset the ad load a little bit. Obviously that's wishful thinking, but the way that like, you know, Facebook or Instagram rolls out like a new stories or reels, like they don't put ads in them for the first six months, right? Because they want people to like get used to it and make it sticky. You want it to be a positive it, experience. Like yeah, exactly. They yeah. want to make people come back and use it. And so I think there's just, they, they solved some problems, but just ignored like the elephant in the room, which is like, hey, 
your, your, your ads are intrusive on, on the site. And I'll tell you the ad that's not intrusive is like the, and the most effective one is like the freaking Titleist thing that says like what, you know, on the leaderboard, like finding a way to fit in a brand to say like, Hey, these guys play the Titleist golf ball. I think that's really, really effective. A lot more effective than you making me look at this Rolex ad that takes up the whole page. Once you get past the first three guys on the leaderboard, like the ad placement could be more thoughtful. If I, there's things you can do where like, if I scroll down the leaderboard and I start scrolling back up, then serve the ad. Right. But let me make it through the leaderboard on the scroll before you start blowing me up. So yeah, that's my, that's, I guess that's my update. (laughs) Yeah. I, I was, I guess, hoping for more. I guess fine. It's better. Sure. I guess taking this long, I would have, uh, you know, thought, thought it would be better. I think it still looks a little funky. The whole, they're really kind of hammering this tour cast thing down, which is, I just don't think looks very good graphic wise. I and I, I know that uh, there's an interview that was done, I think, with Golf Digest or something, where one of the developers of the app says, "Like, well, there's nothing that's said on a podcast that we don't hear about it, the experience." And so I will say this again uh, for those that are listening to this: is what I think would be the most obvious upgrade to this. It would be if I want to click on Adam Svensson's round again. I the comparison I make is MLB app. Like when I go to check the red score. I can scroll and see the sequence of every at-bat right in front of me. So-and-so grounded out. So-and-so struck out. Oh, there's a two-run double. Boom. Click on that, and I can watch that highlight right there. There's none of that. Like, you have to go and still click on every individual hole, and then, like, it it doesn't, like, you can embed the video in the description of what just happened right there. Like, it would just make it flow very naturally. I want to catch up on Rory's round and scroll through the the, you know, the whatever just happened, instead of having to click on individual holes, just show a list of all the shots that happened. And you can divide it up by holes as you scroll, but you can watch this. You can have the highlights all sit right there. And then, of course, when you click on the highlight, you're met with a 15-second pre-roll. Like, it, you just yep. cannot miss any opportunity to... to Which hit me with that 15-second pre-roll on the second video or the sure. third video. Like, at least let me get what I came for. Yeah, And I think you nailed it. Like, I just... If, if I was going to boil it down, I wish they'd lead more with the leaderboard like that is the purpose of the app is like the leaderboard is going to dictate what player i want to jump into and then like you said then have that take me to the adam svensson what's in the bag article right like once i click through on that but like on the home page they're always kind of leading with the media stuff that is not really why i'm there right the, if you're going to boil down like what is probably the purpose of the majority of visits to your app it's to check in on the golf tournament that's happening and then want to get more information on like, for me, like, okay, where does this guy stand? You know, on, where is he, where is he on this, in the, you know, the rankings, what's his strokes gained? And so they're, it's closer, but it's just not quite the right, um, well, uh, just user journey. Steal something from reels, like have just a whole highlight section where I can scroll. And then like, yes, on the fourth or fifth video, give me a, just a separate ad, like the sponsored ads on Instagram or something like that. Yeah. And which then- they have on the homepage. They have, they, they do have the video kind of the story component there but again it's almost like too early to show me that right like i i guess and maybe that maybe the, a more casual golf fan is just looking for like show me the 30 seconds that i need to know of what happened today right but i think i think for for us we're usually going there to go deeper on eat on players or or just like the leaderboard for like frames it for me right i can come to my own conclusions about like oh you know like you know the gala and Harmon balled out today like let me like i want to check out those guys so again closer i know we're probably 
nitpicking, but it, it's still like it's the ads, guys. It's the ads. That's yeah. the problem. That's <laughs> yeah, just not going to change. But yeah, I think it. Uh, anything to but it, could. it just needs to be a little more nuanced because I guess the argument is like I'd love to be a fly on the wall with the the sales team at the tour when they go talk to like some of these sponsors. It's like you're putting them in a bad spot. You're making them like like you're making me resent the ad like i understand the ads are necessary i understand that's a part of life we have ads but yeah. like the whole goal is like you got to be more thoughtful about it and say like and if like i i guarantee there'd be pushback of like if they went to a sponsor and said hey we're going to change it up this year we need the same amount of money but like your ad's going to show after the third video plays and the reason we're doing that is because it's going to be a win for everybody People right like no contracts work though of course not, but I'd love to hear the sales pitch because like, yeah. I think there's a there's a sale there of like, hey, we're trying to make these less intrusive and, and this a better experience for users, which then you could probably like bump up the price of like the presented by like the whole app sponsorship. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, but that's just not the way that they go about things. So that's definitely anyway. the way they do. So I hope again, I mentioned earlier, but I hope you got a chance to listen to the Xander Shoffley pod from this past week where he, you know. We have a frank conversation on all things live. I certainly hope the uh, the accounts that we're sending around the irresponsible rumors are uh, will gladly share that as well. And uh, if you're so interested in hearing both sides of the, of the conversation, then then you'll gladly do that. But I'm sure that will not be the case. So we'll be dealing with more rumors this winter. I'm sure. Um, what's going on in the shop? What's going on in the store? What's going on in the newsletter? Tell any house. That's what I was going to say. I'd like to plug the NLU Pro Shop. I'd like to do a little house ad at the end of the podcast. There you go. Right? Like you got through all. You got to the bottom of the leaderboard. So now I think you're entitled to show an ad, right? Uh, what's new? We've got the holiday promotion going in the pro shop. So it's 17% off on orders over $170 with code BFCM2022. Uh, it's also on just go to store.nolangup.com. We got a ton of new stuff in. We got these Ward sweaters with the skeleton wayward drive. It's like our best-selling stuff. We've got uh, some custom rowback polos uh that are uh, kind of party boy shirts which are great we've got some hoodie hybrids some re-engineered hoodie hybrids mm. uh, which is basically like a quarter zip hoodie which are awesome and also my favorite thing that's back in the shop socks mm. we re-engineered our socks we've got black socks we've got white socks we've got a combo pack of socks so go check that stuff out uh if you're a nest member it's 20 percent off normally 15 percent off so that's the best deal in town so consider joining the nest but uh yeah man big you know obviously big time in the shop and um, I think this is the first year where like, we have like really good, like, I think the, the, not too much inventory, but like enough to, uh, you know, people might not get as many emails this, this year about like, why are you sold out on this stuff? Yeah. Um, also the hat I'm wearing, which is, is brand new, the five panel camper hat. So, yep. Thanks for the support. It, it, it's helpful to, uh, you know, when people support us by buying the merch, love seeing it in the wild, get a kick out of it. Ambush marketing, baby. Kind of the last serious golf pod of the year. Um, there'll be, you know, hero. We'll 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 take the hero too seriously, probably. And of course, we'll have PNC. We'll have the match coming up. Um, so there is some some golf to be played. Kind of more silly season stuff. But uh, golf's going to look a lot different in 2023 as we flip the calendar over. And uh, you know, we'll, we we may have some surprises for you up 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 our sleeve in the next year, which we're not going to give away just yet. But I think you're going to like it. So I what I will say, I am excited about the 2023 season. I when am talking too. about like potential storylines. Can Rory keep it going? You know, till the Masters. Like I just can't wait for the Masters, right? But I'm excited for seeing these guys like play 
the top players in the world getting together more. Like I'm, I'm excited to see what how that progresses. Hopefully that cooperation doesn't fall apart or get watered down too much. But it, it feels like there's a lot of like, like almost the zombie march of the PJ Tour has been a little bit like shocked awake of like, whoa, whoa, we've been going through the motions a little bit. Like we need to make some changes here. And like they're not going to do everything that we want them to do. And not in year one. That's no, sure. but it, but it's like, man, finally, like some some shit's happening, right? People are at least talking about it, so that's good. So I'm excited to uh, take a little time off here the next month and then hit it hard. And I'm also excited about the holiday medley, Sally. I always love those podcasts. Oh, God, I guess I should probably start working on that. <laughs> Falling a those little are great. Just the, the, the highlight, uh, highlights from the year. It's great stuff. We'll have a topic pod if all goes to schedule uh, for next Sunday that I think you guys will uh, enjoy as well. So thank you, Neil, for tuning in, uh, for tuning to for dialing in on a on a Sunday evening and thank you to the listeners for tuning in uh as well hope you guys have a great week have a great holiday and we'll see you back here soon cheers <laughs> oh cheers be the right club be the right club today yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's better than most how about in that is better than most better than most Expect